With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live and now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show, and welcome to Wednesday on the Radio Northwest Network. I've got a question to start with you. Now we know why a major drug kingpin, and I would guess, if I had to make a guess about it, and it's a guess only, he's an illegal alien, although I can't prove that today, but I, I have a strong suspicion that that's the case. Why did he get caught with 52 pounds of fentanyl, tens of thousands of dollars, illegal, disassembled, rifles, both an AR-15 and an AK-47, and 52 pounds of fentanyl, 11 million doses of a drug, worth easily millions of dollars, and he walked right out of jail. Walked right out of jail. They didn't manage to charge him with enough to keep him in jail long enough for a judge to actually issue, well, the orders that would have kept him in jail. So Luis Finez is in the wind right now, and you might wonder why. Well, I wonder about that as well. I think I can shed a little bit of light on it, along with giving you at least a few guesses about what was really going on there. But the fact is, this has become the regular standard operating procedure in both Oregon and Washington. Serious criminals who present a serious threat to the public are simply allowed to walk away from the charges. Glad to be with you on a Wednesday. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it happens right here every day. And you can join in at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to disagree with me, why, naysayers go right to the head of the line on this program. Always have, always will. At 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can, you can vote in our Twitter poll or X poll. Um, the question today, I'm going to have to explain a bit. I'm going to ask you generically, should the public know when threats are made against schools and synagogues and airports, when those threats cause evacuations, should we end up knowing at some point who did the deed? Now, when it comes to schools, I don't have a count of it, but uh, I think I can accurately guess that most of those threats are made by kids. 
people under the age of 18. And what happens then is the public never learns who they are. And if you say, well, why is that relevant? I would make the argument that when a kid knows in a criminal justice system like Oregon or Washington have right now, there's going to be almost no consequences for having done what they did. So if you call in a threat, you pull a fire alarm, you uh, you threaten your school so the school gets shut down, whether you're just trying to get another day out of class or whatever the motivation is, if your name is never going to be known publicly, if you're not going to face serious criminal charges, if you have almost no possibility of being referred to adult court, then why not? Now, I'm not making an argument to persuade kids to go out and do this stupid stuff. It's wasting, wasteful of resources. It means that Oregon's already shortest in the nation's school year gets even shorter. It means that kids are already far too far behind the curve right now that they fall even further behind. But should the public end up knowing who makes threats against schools, even if the criminals are kids? I would answer yes, the public should know. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question every day, brand new one, on X or what we used to call Twitter, uh, at Lars Larson Show. And on our website at LarsLarson.com, the FBI is now totaling up 18 hoax threats against schools, synagogues, and airports just this past week. That prompted evacuations, law enforcement sweeps around the state, at least a dozen school districts got hoax bomb threats. And I'm willing to bet the people behind it are kids. That does not mean they should escape consequences, including having the public know who they are. And if you say, well, that would ruin the reputation of that kid. No, calling in the fake bomb threat that shuts down a school is what ruins your reputation. The public knowing who you are helps to protect the public as well. So I'm going to say the public should know who those people are. In Oregon, the system is engineered. The public will almost never find out who those kids are even if formal action is taken by the police, even if formal action is taken by the courts, they're n you're not going to find out who they are. Today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com and call the show. If you'd like to join, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Now, let me tell you about Luis Funes. Luis Funes is a drug dealer. He was arrested the first time back in January, arrested a few times later, uh, or a few weeks later uh, in January. He was caught with $3,000 and 100 fentanyl pills during a traffic stop. He was also caught dealing near an open-air drug market in downtown Portland. That was close to a year ago. But then when they finally raided his Airbnb that he was renting uh, in early December, the police found 52 pounds of fentanyl, 11 million doses of the drug. As he tried to run out the back door, they found 25,000 in cash in the house. Two, and get this, this is even more dangerous. Two disassembled rifles, an AR-15 and an AK-47, which the prosecutors say were hidden in a care package that was destined for Honduras. Now, where is Funes from? He's from Honduras. Who is he? He's a former member of the Honduran military, and the police will only say he got to Portland by way of Sacramento sometime last year. Now, guess what? Department of Homeland Security says or said in 2021, the top six countries of origin for undocumented immigrants, what the rest of us call illegal aliens, are Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, India, Honduras, and, of course, China, Joe Biden's friends there. So the question is, why wasn't this guy kept in jail?
Well, the problem is he walked out of jail because the police chose not to charge him with the kind of charges that would have kept him there. They may have been planning to seek federal charges. Whatever the motivation was, they didn't book him on the charges necessary to keep him in custody. So while he was in jail for just a short period of time, uh, a judge came late to the game and ordered him kept in custody. But by that time, Luis Funes had already walked out the door. And the question is now, are they going to find him? Well, they could. They might find him. But if he's been regularly involved in major league drug trafficking, the way that you end up with 52 pounds of fentanyl or 11 million doses and illegal weapons and tens of thousands of dollars in cash, do you think when he runs, he's going to run a short distance or is he going to run a long distance? Might he just disappear back over Joe Biden's wide open border because he knows he can always come back in? As, uh, well, at least until Donald Trump is elected president, he'll be able to cross back across the border. Border. And heck, the Border Patrol might just hand him five grand and an airplane ticket anywhere he wants to go in America. He has absolutely no incentive to come back to a place where he might just face some major league charges for being apparently a major league drug dealer. And I'd love to, like to see him booked into custody. So maybe we can find out, is he in fact legally in the United States of America? Or is this one of Joe's special guests who decided to cross into America? decided to set up immediately in the drugs and guns business, maybe even try to ship guns illegally back to Honduras, all of that, does that sound like that maybe is a threat to public safety? Because it sure does to me. Glad to be with you on a Wednesday. I'll have the Northwest nonsense coming up in just a moment. Then your phone calls and your emails at 866-A-LARS. Check out our Instagram feed. And, of course, you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Truth be told, Lars has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. The next time elites ask you to pony up more taxes, remind them of the way that the government treats the cash they already suck out of your wallet. Yesterday, we learned that Oregon managed to mistakenly pay more than $200 million in unemployment benefits last year. And as usual, the state blames the pandemic, the all-purpose excuse for just about anything that goes wrong. Let me remind you of the real reason. Democrat Kate Brown became the accidental governor after the corruption of Democrat Governor John Kitzhaber. Her day job before that was Secretary of State, where she issued a report, a formal report, predicting the meltdown of the unemployment system, and that was about a decade ago. The state had $98 million from Congress to fix that problem. So what did they do? Did they fix the problem? No, they left the money unspent and the problem unfixed. So last year, long after the most severe employment effects of the pandemic were over, the state admits it made 80,000 mistakes paying out dollars to people who are not entitled to those dollars. And that's what it fesses up to. I suspect the real number is much higher. We'll likely learn about that a long time from now. In the meantime, Salem spends your cash in a way that would make drunken sailors blush. And now they want to steal the $5 billion kicker from the taxpayers to boot. Our question of the day comes in from Tim Thorne, who says, Lars, why does our president read his answers to the press to questions uh, and Zelensky just answers? What a joke. Why don't they have Barack Obama do the whole show? I'm disgusted, signed Tim Thorne. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I want to give today's Daily Grill to all of those who touted the 2020 election. Yeah, the election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. They said it was the most secure election in American history. I'll tell you what, somebody came up, Rasmussen Polling, a longtime polling firm in America, came up with a really brilliant idea. Why don't we go out and ask the taxpayers? So they went out to voters who actually voted in the 2020 election. And guess what they found? The results just came out this week. 21% of voters who voted by absentee or mail-in ballot in the 2020 election say they filled out a ballot in part or in full on behalf of a friend or a family member, like a spouse or a child. 21%. One vote, one voter in five filled out other people's ballots as well. 30% voted by absentee or mail-in ballot in the 2020 election. 19% of those who cast mail-in votes say a friend or a family member filled out their ballot in part or in full. I'd remind you, that's illegal. The vote is not a valid vote. 17% of mail-in voters say they cast a ballot in a state where they were no longer permanent residents. And among all voters, male and in-person, 11% said a fan, family member, a friend, a co-worker, or another acquaintance has admitted to them that they filled out a ballot on behalf of somebody else in 2020. Does that sound like the most valid election or secure election in American history? Because it certainly doesn't to me. 
John Lee writes in and says, Lars, in case you didn't see this, late Saturday night or very early Sunday morning, Antifa-loving thugs vandalized the Clark County Republican Party headquarters. These extreme leftists who preach faux tolerance think nothing of destruction and violence against those they disagree with. The police are investigating. Let us hope that people of goodwill provide our law enforcement officials with information so justice can be meted out to these criminals. Signed, John Lee. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with uh, Tony in the Ording Valley of Washington. Hey, Tony, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KVI. What's on your mind? Well, I wondered if the U.S. have any sort of a fast path to citizenship through joining our military, which would give illegals, uh, I know they would have to be possibly more educated for some of them, but if there's any sort of a path, a path to citizenship through uh, joining our military and really supporting the U.S. if they believe in the United States. I want to make sure that, that I understand your question. You're asking about illegals, not green card holders, right? That's correct. Okay, That's green correct. card holders can sign up for the military because the average person, no matter where they're from on planet Earth, who's come here on a green card, had to go through a long process, a lot of vetting, to make sure that they were who they say they are. And then after an average of six to seven years, they're allowed to get a green card and come to the United States. They can sign up for the military, but you ask about illegals. So let me ask you this, Tony. I, I think it's a horrible idea, but let me tell you why. Number one, level of education. Number two, how do we know who an illegal alien is? Do you think we know who that person really is? Because I'd point out to you that of the roughly 8 to 9 million people who've come into America illegally, when you uh, and across our southern border, for the most part, although our northern border is a problem too, but Border Patrol reports that they find scattered around that entire area foreign currency from places like Cuba and China and other places on the planet and picture ID. Tony, why would you ever throw out your picture ID? Lars, I'm talking about... No, answer, please answer my question, Tony. I'm answering yours. It's a horrible idea. Well, you're, you're, you're asking, why don't we populate our, our, our military with criminals? People who've lied um, and come into our country illegally. They plan to work illegally. They're identifying themselves illegally and usually lying about who they are and where they're from. The only reason a legitimate... There's no reason for a legitimate person to throw his picture ID away unless... You don't want, want the Americans to find out you're actually from Cuba. So you can walk up to the border and say, I'm from Guatemala, I'm from El Salvador, I'm from Honduras, because you understand that those are the secret words to get into the United States. If you're from Mexico, you get turned back. But if you're from Honduras, the, under the current policies, you're allowed in. Why would you populate our military with uneducated criminals? How is that good for America? What, what my... What, what I'm trying to say is that currently it would take years and years and years to come in legally. I'm wondering why don't they develop a faster path of vetting those that come through and being able to do something like that and educating them and having certain requirements for them to be educated to join the military. Tony, you if sound like a Biden voter, and let me tell you why. Why are you, We already have millions of people crossing in illegally. If you say, and you can join the military, and get a full-time paycheck, and a career in the military, and citizenship, do you really think you want to up the incentives to cross into America illegally? Because that's what you're doing. You're giving, there, well, it's already attractive for illegals to come in illegally, and you want to make it more attractive? 
No, I don't want them to come in illegally. I want them to go through a system that requires them to work. There is a system, and we allow about a million a year. How many would you like to allow allow in legally? It's a simple question. I've got to hit the brakes soon. I don't want any of them. I don't want any of them to come in illegally, period. No, but I ask how many, if we're letting a million in legally now, how many would you like to let in legally now? Hello? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, it is, and you don't have an answer. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Wednesday. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your more of your phone calls in a moment. And I always love it when naysayers actually have an answer to the questions they pose. Uh, not not so much the last one. Uh, Nigel Jacobs joins us now, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter at Willamette Week. You can find his stories and others at wweek.com. And uh, Nigel, y- you wrote about a brand new novel about a weird or dark era at what I've always considered one of the most oddball colleges in America, and that's Reed College. Uh, welcome back, by the way. Thanks, Lars. Yeah, back in 2008, uh, one of my colleagues, James Pipkin, wrote about Reed College. Uh, he, he'd gotten uh, hold of a lawsuit where a custodian said that he had been fired unjustly because he refused to cover up some drug drug dealing on campus. And... Um, that led James down a rabbit hole uh, that went. Uh, the, the stories extended for a couple of years, and the, the, the sad fact was that during that two-year period, two Reed students died of heroin overdoses. Um, so there was a long history of open uh, and heavy drug use on the Reed campus. Uh, and I should say, you know, Reed is uh, the most exclusive or hardest to get into school in Oregon by a mile. It's the wealthiest private college in Oregon by a mile. It has attracted, you know, some of the brightest students in the country for, for decades. So it's a it's both a really uh, impressive academic institution and one that has had a long time uh, problem with drug use. And so uh, unusual for us to write about a novel. The reason we did is this novel is written by the guy who was really in charge of damage control for Reed during that period and for, for 15 years between 2007 and 2022. So in some regard, he was uh, a keeper of the secrets. He knew what was really going on. Uh, reporters from Willamette Week and the Oregonian and other outlets were trying desperately to figure out what was going on uh, on that campus. And uh, this fellow, uh, Kevin Myers, his job was to keep us from figuring it out. So, well, and, and why? Because the, the college wanted to protect its reputation, but why would they shield all this illicit activity that occasionally led to the death of students? Well, it's important to understand how private colleges work, and they, they both rely on their reputation to continue to attract the top students in the country, particularly a competitive school like Reed, they don't want parents reading stories about uh, drug deaths, overdoses on campus. Secondly, they rely on alumni and other friends to, to donate to them. So this was all happening during the largest uh, fundraising campaign in Reed's history. They were in the middle of trying to raise $200 million. So they had a significant stake in their reputation uh, being as good as it could be. Uh, I mean, they always have that stake, but even more so at that time, 
And thirdly, you know, if you remember, 2008 was when the Great Recession began. So, you know, uh, paying a tuition at a top-flight institution like Reed is never easy. It's particularly difficult during a recession. So the college was under enormous pressure to protect its reputation. And, of course, the press wanted to know what was going on. And Kevin Myers, was the, the author of this novel, was the guy who was the – he, he was the go-between. He was supposed to communicate with the press and the public, but also protect Reed's uh, reputation. So the reason I found, and I think others may find this novel so interesting, is it, 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 it is a very thinly veiled uh, retelling of what was going on at that time from behind the scenes, the stuff that we never learn about. And there are two really interesting parts of the book. One is the claim that when uh, Reed needed to accept its final few students in each class, they almost always took in these troubled uh, but wealthy kids who could pay full tuition, and they accounted for a lot of the drug dealing and other problems on campus. So the college uh, claimed it was going to a policy of admitting everybody uh, for equity and for, you know, for the sake of fairness, but really they were doing that to stop accepting troubled rich kids. And the second more interesting allegation, more explosive allegation, not allegation, but uh, issue in the book is that when kids got in trouble, we're going to get arrested or we're going to get otherwise held accountable for dealing drugs or taking drugs or, or whatever. Uh, uh, the fictional college in the book uh, hid them behind HIPAA, which is a federal uh, medical privacy law that basically makes it impossible for the press or others to get information. So, you know, it's it's maybe a look inside of what it's really like at a high-pressure campus when things are going wrong. Okay. Is this a little bit of a mea culpa on his part saying, I, I helped make all this happen, and so I want to talk about it? And the reason, I mean, I've had other author friends, Nigel, who've written novels when they couldn't get away with uh, writing a, a, a nonfiction book because of legal reasons. They'd say, well, I'll just take the information I have and write a fiction book and uh, and include a lot of real information. Does this novel, a fictional book, actually contain a lot of a absolutely accurate information about what was really going on? Well, it, it sure feels like it, Lars. I mean, only the author can say for sure, but there are so many events that are exactly what happened in, in you know, in our reporting. There are so many people who are easily identifiable, you know, the college president easily identifiable, the prosecutor, the main drug prosecutor at Multnomah County easily identifiable, the, the parents of the second uh, overdose, uh, uh, the student who died of an overdose uh, did exactly what the parents do in the book. So there are numerous, numerous uh, coincidences which would make you feel that, yes, uh, to, to, your, to answer your question, it does feel like uh, Kevin Myers is, is uh, issuing a mea culpa and explaining what really happened in a way that he couldn't uh, at the time. And, and then Reed actually took on a new president who was, what, the former attorney general of Oregon? That's right. Uh, John Kroger, who some will remember was attorney general uh, about a decade ago, had come to Oregon after being a federal prosecutor in, in New York City, where he prosecuted very high-level drug cases. And then he was, as Oregon's attorney general, the state's top law enforcement official. So in the wake of this uh, heroin scandal, I think Reed was really looking to send a message to parents and to donors that, hey, we've, we've uh, taken this problem seriously and we're bringing in a lawman 
to be our next president. Kroger, Kroger was there for six years, and I think to a large degree uh, he helped Reed crack down on, on uh, what was uh, an overly permissive atmosphere, and, and we haven't seen those kinds of uh, overdose deaths or the kind of uh, excessive consumption that Reed was known for in the past. I just want to make sure I didn't misinterpret something I heard from you earlier, and that was when you say the, the college would say, let's take the troubled kid. So, in effect, they were telling America's wealthiest families, I guess in most cases, that they can pay, afford to pay the crazy tuition at Reed College, you've got a troubled kid, nobody else wants him, we'll put him in here, you just make sure you pay the bill, and, and we'll be happy to effectively babysit him. But then having put those troubled people on campus, maybe even people involved in drugs, they said, and we'll help to cover up for a lot of the blatant drug activity that was going on on the campus. That sounds like a, a kind of a sleazy way to do business, doesn't it? Well, that is the, I, I want to be clear, that is what is in this book, which is, is a novel and purport, you know, it has the usual disclaimer on the front, no, 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 any coincidence. No real person uh, is depicted or, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. But, sure. but it's a very, I look, this guy was there for 15 years. He was in the room when they were figuring out how to deal with the damage, and he clearly has a very uh, close understanding of their admissions policies and why they changed them. And uh, so, you know, if he writes a novel, I think it's fair to say that it's based on his his real experience in that job. Sounds very good. That's Nigel Jacobs. By the way, Nigel, I hope you keep following up on Luis Funes, uh, this guy who's uh, the major league drug oh dealer. God. That uh, oh apparently, I know we've we've got to hold that one for another day. But Nigel, keep up, do, keep doing the good work. You guys have been breaking the original stories on that. That's Nigel Jacobs. You can find the stories at wweek.com. Coming up in a moment. It is the holiday season. We're, we've got a way for you to help out a really great institution, the Union Gospel Mission. And we'll talk about why OSU has not yet fired a professor who lied about his background. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. Our Twitter poll or X poll today. Should the public know who makes the threats against schools, even if those criminals turn out to be kids? I'd answer yes to that. Uh, the FBI's counted up 18 
hoax threats against Oregon schools, synagogues, and airports just this past week. That's prompted evacuations. I think I can predict reliably that in the what it, what passes for a criminal justice system in Oregon right now, if it turns out that it's a juvenile who did it, we will never learn who that juvenile is. And I think that's a problem when it comes to getting kids not to pull those kind of dangerous stunts uh, because they realize there won't be much punishment from the system at all, and the public will never know who they are. And I think that's a powerful way to stop them from doing that. Glad to have you with me, and we'll get back to your calls in a moment. I want to welcome David Harms with the Union Gospel Mission. David, we raise money every year this time, at this time of year, mm -hmm. for Union Gospel Mission to make changes in people's lives. Would you mind telling my audience how they can help out? Yeah, I'd love to and appreciate the opportunity. Um, we've got a phone number set up uh, and a website. What we're going to ask you to do as you listen is to actually do something about homelessness. We see it. Seeing it is not the issue. What do you actually do to combat the problem in a way that doesn't involve dependency or enabling? That's what we do at Union Gospel Mission because we do meet the basic needs. You've got to meet where they're at. So a meal, shelter, you know, toiletries, new clothes, that kind of a thing. Certainly we do that, and we go out into the bridges or under the bridges and into the camps. We do all of that. The ultimate end, though, what we like to say is hope begins with a meal. It doesn't end. That's just the start point. So our recovery programs and all the rest truly work to get people off the street. So what we're asking you to do is to make a call or jump online, make a gift, and for every $105 we raise, that'll cover a week of care to get somebody off the streets. But more importantly than that, we meet the need, but Always, Lars, it's a, it's a matter of hope that we get them off the street for good, and we've got a pretty good track record of doing that. So I'll give the phone number, though, if I could real quick, 888-955-9565. Sure, go ahead, please. 888-955-9557. Also a link at kxl.com. And I'm not sure if you have one up on your website either. I just want to know. I think we do. We, we do have it up on my website. And here's the, the thing I like best about Union Gospel Mission. There's all these government programs on which literally hundreds of millions of dollars are spent. No exaggeration. In Multnomah County and Portland and also in, in uh, the Seattle metro uh, by King County and, and, uh, and by Seattle, hundreds of millions of dollars, and very little of it seems to change people's circumstances. How does Union Gospel Mission get people not just clothing, food, shelter, and get them out of the problems that put them on the streets to begin with? Well, we commit to a person is what we do. We don't even attempt to, I mean, we do meet the basic need, but the ultimate end are the recovery programs, the way that we work with a, a person, uh, and our success rate uh, for women, especially because that's the fastest growing segment, I believe it's over 85% of women two years down the road are employed, housed, in a supportive community and giving back to society. Men, not much different, but probably over 75%. That means they are getting off the street and they're staying off the street, but we do take the time. I think that's really the thing because we don't approach it from a quick fix standpoint. We approach it from meet the basic need, and there's the faith element. That always plays a role in it as well. But that's why I think we're so successful, because we approach it from a long-term perspective to get them off permanently.
And the number is 888-955-9557. You can also go to our flagship station is sponsoring this, just as we've done toy drives with KVI and our other affiliates. We try to help them out with all their uh, charitable work. But uh, would you mind telling people, when they donate a given amount of money, what does it actually go to so that people understand how you're spending it and, and how much better Union Gospel Mission applies a relatively small number of dollars than some of these government programs that are swimming in cash? Yeah, well, we apply it to really what the what the bean counters have done is kind of put it into this number of $15. That would take care of one person's need for a day. So it's the shelter, it's the meals, it's the, the counseling, it's the recovery programs. It's just lumped into that $15. And that's a not a lot of money, you know, a couple of bucks for a meal, the shelter, uh, everything, the counseling, all of it, $15 for a day. That's where that 105 for a week comes in. Uh, so, yeah, there's the basic stuff you cover, but then there's also the long-term stuff. So uh, we are very effective and efficient with what we do uh, because, honestly, we wouldn't survive. We don't take any government money. So God we wouldn't survive if we, yeah, well, if, we didn't, <laughs> if we didn't do what we say we're going to do with the money. People wouldn't give. But I think as people get to know us, uh, then they clearly uh, see the value of it. And this is why we're asking you to, to call or go online. KXL.com is the website. That's the Portland affiliate. Yep. KXL.com or 888-955-9557. I want you to double check me on something I tell my audience all the time. What is the primary thing that is putting most of the people on the streets that you end up interacting with? Oh, primary. There's uh, a lot. I'd say the two primary ones would be mental, mental health. Clearly, that's an, an issue, and addictions. Uh, but, but there are those that just drop through, especially lately. We have seen so many people from the economy, uh, from inflation, and then something happens, an accident, something happens, and they end up just not having the ability to make ends meet. But primarily, you've got addictions. We've got a lot of veterans on the street. Nationwide, it's about 40% 40 of veterans, or 40% of those on the street are. i got to give you the number one more time. 888-955-9557, Union Gospel Mission. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. 
the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. I want to get very quickly to this interview because we haven't talked to the head of the Portland Police Association, the union that represents police in the city of Portlandia. Uh, Aaron Schmaltz, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Hey, I got to ask you, I want to jump right into this because we've had the governor of Oregon declare that she's going to try to fix the problems of the city of Portland because apparently that says the mayor and the city council have not been able to, to, to do the job. So she's going to step in and do it for them. And then she comes out with this plan, much of it that involves uh, the people you represent, yeah, police officers. And I want to know what your take is on Governor Kotek's uh, plan uh, to say, well, we're, we're, we're going to fix the drug problems and all of the city, and we're going to ask for changes at the legislature, and we're going to set up a command center to go after fentanyl and things like that. Aaron, give me your unvarnished opinion of that. I mean, look, law enforcement has a very specific role in our society, and we can't, with the staffing that we have, just wave a magic wand and solve the problems that we have. We need partnership. We're spending tax dollars multiple, multiple times. For the last handful of years, we've allowed, you know, some of the nonprofits that are accepting some of this money have not partnered well with law enforcement. We've all just got to work together. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that there's a lot of focus on the, on the issues that we're having. But law enforcement has a very finite amount of resources, a finite amount of time. We've got to spend our money well, and we've got to spend it once instead of just trying to come up with a lot of different ideas. Okay. Now, that sounds a little formula. But let me ask you, is one of those agencies that takes public money and doesn't partner well, doesn't play well with the cops, Portland Street Response? Uh, look, Portland Street Response at its origin was was designed to be a replacement to law enforcement, which is not what it should or could be. Um Portland Street Response has a role if if it's understood well. The real challenge with street response is that in the 911 response model, somebody is calling and asking for something specific, and PSR does not have the legal authority to move people along or abate things. And so if they're going to be a 911 partner, we've got to make sure that they have a role that they can fulfill. Um, we're meeting with them often, trying to figure out what that's going to be. Um, they have a, a lot of great people over there. We've just got to make sure that their job is doable. Well, and in fact, when I think about it, Aaron, I've never ridden along with Portland Street Response, but I have with the cops a long, a long time ago. But, but when you get a call for an unwanted, somebody who's at a business or a residence and they're creating a problem and people call the police and say, can you... Usually it's a guy. Can you get this guy out of here? He's he's dangerous. He's threatening. He's obnoxious. Can you do something about it? You're saying PSR doesn't have the legal chops to be able to do that. The police do, although there aren't enough police. So basically you have nobody to call on because PSR doesn't have the legal authority to act on it. And what do they have the legal authority to act on? Can you hit those two, please? So, A, is, I'll go in reverse order. As far as legal authority goes, PSR does not have the legal authority to, to do anything to a person. They are right now a mobile service suggester. I would say that they probably should be a mobile service provider. Um, as far as, you know, you, again, law enforcement, the whole 911 system exists 
to abate acute problems. Law enforcement is the only group of humans other than uh, Project Respond, which can put uh, medical holds on people or psychological holds on people. Police are the ones that can, can actually move people from point A to point B. And so we need that clear mandate for whoever's responding and the clear authority to actually provide the service that people are asking for. So it means that if if you call and say this person is doing some things and maybe 911 doesn't know exactly what's going on, but they know a response is needed. They send PSR and PSR says this guy's engaging in criminal activity. They have no control over that. They have no nothing they Correct. can do to act on that. If they say this person's in medical distress, um, they can't really act. I mean, they can suggest we think you should go to the hospital. And when the person says no. And maybe they're overdosed or whatever, but they're or or they're they're threatening an overdose. Then when they walk off and die, you know, does PSR have any responsibility? Because I know paramedics do. They're concerned if you decide to walk off when they think you need more treatment. But it sounds like PSR, this brainchild of, as I recall, it was Joanne Hardesty, uh, you know, doesn't have the power to do much of anything any more than a bystander saying, "Hey, buddy, you ought to go to the hospital," or "Hey, buddy, you should stop hitting that woman." But if they show up and somebody's, you know, beating on somebody, they don't have the, the training or the equipment or the backup or the legal authority to actually stop that person, do they? No, and that's why a co-response model is so important. Okay, so let me ask you about the governor's plan. So the governor says, we're going to go after fentanyl. We want to ask the legislature, which is months from now, into next year, and then the effective date of that law might be months more, and then actually acting on it might be after that. So sometime late in 2024, they want to make public drug use illegal. I want to know, from your point of view, representing cops, is that even enforceable? If you're walking down the street and you see somebody boiling something on a piece of tinfoil over a bic, um, it <laughs> Can, can you enforce a law if they said tomorrow smoking fentanyl in public is illegal? Could you do anything well, so, about that? So it, structurally, yes. I mean, if you go back in time, it used to just be PCS, right? Possession of a controlled yep. substance. If you yep. saw someone engaging in behavior that was commensurate with activity that looks like drug activity, you can go, you can interdict, you can search them, you find something, you arrest them. If the state wrote a law that, you know, that, you know, instruments that are in the kind of, moving towards using drugs, whatever else, you could see where you could start having the authority to do something. Again, law enforcement acts on a mandate. We just need clear understanding. And frankly, in the presence of the DOJ in Portland, our officers need to understand what they're asked to do because every time we go and do anything, we're judged, you know, really without a judge and a jury about our activities. So it's really important that our officers understand what's being asked. So when they go and do something, they're not being just completely destroyed later. And given what the governor has proposed, do you think the legislature is going to write the kind of law that you'd have to have to actually act on public drug use? Uh, well, I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I've been meeting with and speaking with a lot of the legislature. Um, the one thing I will say that's true right now is they're finally asking us to the table for the conversation. Effectively, everything that happened for several years, law enforcement was not allowed at the table. And we've seen the outcome of what happens when you don't ask the professionals how they're going to do their work. What about this idea of a command center for fentanyl information? Do you is that anything more than optics? I I, I have not seen enough yet to understand what that means. Um, I mean, I'm just imagining a room full of people and lots of TV and computer screens, and I don't know what they'd be doing. Hey, there's a guy at Fourth and Washington who appears to be smoking fentanyl. Okay, thanks. Um, you know, but but other than that, I I don't know whether they just decided they needed ten points, ten bullet points to make a plan, or what. 
Yeah, I mean, what would be useful is law enforcement and all first responders having real-time access to services and understanding where they can take people. If you ask a Portland police officer today, hey, there's somebody who's high, where do you take them? Everyone's going to stare at you and blink because we don't have a detox facility. We don't have, you know, real access to anything other than ambulances, and we all know how taxed our ambulance services are. Yep. So, you know, if, if the command center or some one point of contact can create resources for law enforcement, then I'm all for it, but we just need to understand what they're actually doing. Yeah, in the meantime, we've got Multnomah County that has the money to have a detox center, and they have managed to get about the program in the last five years. Aaron, thank you very much. That's Aaron Schmautz, who is the president of the Portland Police Association. Coming up, Hunter Biden heads for Capitol Hill, and yeah, it's a crazy story. We'll talk about that and take your phone calls and emails next. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Broadcasting the sound of freedom, here's Lars Larson. There's no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. Now, if you think you recognize that voice, you probably do. It's Hunter Biden. Yeah, the ne'er-do-well son, coked up, or I guess he's now supposed to be a recovering addict, the son of the big guy, Joe Biden, currently residing at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Welcome to the Lars Larson Show. I want to talk about what happened today when Hunter Biden came to Capitol Hill, except he didn't come to actually answer, as he has to legally, to answer a subpoena from Congress. Congress to testify first behind closed doors, but on the record and then out in public. But first, welcome to the program. Glad to have you on board. And if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always happening right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you first in line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Oh, and you can vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that in a couple of places, Twitter or X at Lars Larson Show, or you can also go to our website at LarsLarson.com. So, today the House Republicans had planned to put some tough questions to Hunter Biden, 
And they would do it behind closed doors for a start, but on the record, and prepare to question him in public about details of his illicit business deals in Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Moscow, and Beijing, China, and how those deals brought in more than $24 million to the Biden crime family, and bank records that show some of that money went to big guy Joe Biden, despite Hunter Biden's denials, one of them you just heard a moment ago, you're going to hear more of them. And in fact, Joe Biden has been denying for years. He's called Hunter Biden the smartest guy he knows. But he's also said, I have never, ever talked to my son about his business, about what he does. I haven't talked to his business partners. I haven't met with his business partners. I haven't been on the phone with his business partners. And today we know to a fair certainty that all of that is big, fat lies from Joe Biden. But why would that surprise anybody? Now, about the business of testifying behind closed doors. Now. Any of you have ever been involved in a lawsuit on either side of the lawsuit, you understand that one of the things you're going to do before you ever walk into the courtroom is you're going to have people deposed, deposed, and I've been deposed before. You sit in a room, you take an oath to tell the truth, and they put it on the record. Now, why do they ask you lots and lots and lots of questions and then put you on the stand in the trial where you may testify to a tenth of what you said in the deposition? Because they want to get everybody's story down pat and say, okay, we understand the position that Hunter Biden has taken. Then, in this model, where the House Republicans, just as Democrats have done, Democrats had lots of behind-closed-doors uh, depositions of witnesses to find out what the witness was going to say, to compare it to the evidence, to compare it to the testimony of other witnesses, and then put them in front of Congress and the public and ask them questions based on what you learned in the deposition. It makes perfect sense in civil trials. It even makes sense if you got depositions to a criminal trial. It makes sense in the case of testifying to Congress. Well, Hunter Biden was given a subpoena that is legally enforceable. And I'll tell you what the Congress has done. They have now decided to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for failure to appear for that closed door testimony. He just simply refused to show up in that hearing. He said, I'll testify in public, but I'm not going to testify on you know, under oath uh, behind closed doors. Take a listen. He talks about, well, in effect, a mea culpa. I'm here today to acknowledge that I've made mistakes in my life and wasted opportunities and privileges I was afforded. Now, the thing is, we don't care about his mistakes. We don't care about his opportunities that he's missed out on. What I care about is, did Hunter Biden accept bribes on behalf of his dad from foreign companies and foreign countries, including China, Russia, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine? Did he do that? I believe that he did. He's not there to talk about his coke use or how many hookers he hired, sometimes with Joe Biden's money. He was there to testify about whether or not we have a president who is thoroughly compromised by bribes he's received from foreign governments and foreign companies. Now, I believe that that was true for a long, long time. Now we know that Congress has a lot of that uh, information in the form of bank records, text messages, phone calls, emails, the whole nine yards. Now, what does Daddy Joe, the big guy, say about those people who decide to defy a subpoena from Congress? Take a listen. <laughs> congressional subpoenas on the January 6th committee. I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Should they be prosecuted by the I, Justice I do, Department? yes. Now, he was asked about people subpoenaed to testify about January 6th. 
And what the president said at that point was, those people should testify. If they don't testify, they should be prosecuted. Will Joe Biden hold his son to the same standard? Because Joe Biden has said all along, and he said as recently as a couple of weeks ago, that nothing, nothing that Hunter Biden did was wrong. Now, of course, you have to couple that with the fact that Papa Joe, uh, the big guy, claims that he knows nothing about Hunter Biden's business, but at the same time says whatever his business was, it was all above board, it was all legal, and it was kosher. No, you know, you can't claim both. You can't claim I don't know anything about my son's business affairs, even though they very much involve Joe, because what Hunter was selling was Joe Biden's influence, Joe Biden's name, and he can't say, I don't know anything about it, but whatever he did, it was probably legal. Now, about Hunter Biden and his decision to defy the subpoena. Listen to this. I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. Well, that's a bit of a contradiction because when Hunter Biden says, I want to make sure it's not on distortions and lies, and then says, but I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be uh, give my uh, testimony under oath on the record in front of members of Congress in those closed door sessions. Well, if you don't want it to be lies and distortions, then straighten us out. Tell us what it was you were doing. And then you have to consider that Mike Johnson, the current Speaker of the House, has said this impeachment is not going to be like the impeachments, two of them, of Donald Trump. There shouldn't be any such thing as a snap impeachment, a sham impeachment like the Democrats did against President Trump. This is the opposite of that. Now, in the meantime, what are the Democrats doing? The Democrats are in full denial mode. Joe Biden's Capitol Hill defenders have decided to adopt the strategy of simply denying that the evidence exists. Listen to Jerry Nadler from New York. They have no evidence, of course, to support this inquiry. But since this majority never get, lets facts get in the way of a good set of Fox News talking points, here we are. No, no, here we are. He says there is no evidence. Well, tell you what. Tony Bobolinsky, Hunter's former business partner, who testified that Joe Biden was the big guy set to get 10 percent cut in that Chinese energy venture. Devin Archer, Hunter's former business partner and friend, says Hunter put then Vice President Joe Biden on the phone during meetings with foreign associates around two dozen times, all in an effort to, as Devin Archer put it, sell the Biden brand. And Archer even admitted that the arrangement was an abuse of power on the part of Vice President Joe Biden. But AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's got the same talking points as Jerry Nadler. Listen. That not only is the committee not allowing Hunter Biden to testify publicly, but they have not called a single witness, a single first-hand witness to any of their allegations. They haven't allowed anybody to testify publicly because they do not have a single Well, witness. except for Tony Bobolinsky and Devin Archer and a number of others and a stack of bank records and emails and phone calls and text messages, you've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Be honest. You're listening because you like what you hear, right? Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to see what's happening to Joe Biden's crazy electric vehicle mandate. 
Already, customers are not buying the cars, or at least not in sufficient numbers, to consume the inventory. And now some of the car companies have said, we're, we're not going to be producing EVs the way Joe Biden wants us to. In fact, Ford Motor Company, uh, late last week or early this week, announced it is cutting production of its signature F-150 Lightning pickup truck, the one that runs on batteries. They're cutting production in half. And believe me, no car company stops making cars that it can readily sell. The problem is the car industry is losing tens of thousands of dollars on every single car, EV car, that they make and sell because they're selling them for less than they cost to make, which makes no sense, even with the federal subsidy calculated in. So I thought we'd ask uh, Ver our friend Veronique de Rougie, who is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center, economist and George Mason University. Uh, Veronique, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Lars. I want to get your take on, on what's happening here, because it seems the president's mandates have met, met economic reality and consumer choice, and it's not a happy meeting. No, it, it's not a happy meeting. And with also the cost uh, that it's, uh, or the mandate to shift to electric cars, the companies are having a lot of trouble with unions, because unions understand that building an EV requires much fewer union workers. And this is, uh, and, and, and in particular, when the companies, the, the car companies building EVs are relocating in uh, right-to-work uh, states, which is smart. I mean, they should be doing this. So they're facing, uh, first, it's important to understand that for, for the most part, Car companies are subsidizing their EV production with the, uh, the, the, their regular cars, right? Yep. But now with the trouble that they have with the unions and the negotiation and the, the deal they've ha just had to make to actually keep their unions going, the cost of making regular cars is going to go up. So it's just not, it's just not a good, uh, it's not a good, uh, it's not a good recipe. The other thing that's worth, uh, uh, understanding is the fact that there's so much you can subsidize. First, I mean, the money doesn't fall from the sky, right? I mean, it right. has a cost in the real economy. But it's also the reason why people are not demanding EVs uh, as much as the government would like us to uh, to to desire is uh, like would, would like us to to buy is because it's just not a good deal. Even with the subsidies, <laughs> they're more expensive. They cost more to maintain. They're very high maintenance, right? Because when you take a trip, you are never sure that you're going to be able to find somewhere to plug it. It's going to take a long time if you can. Very often people report that when you show up at a station, there's either a big line or the plugs are not working. And so they're just, they're, they're very, though they are great cars. I have friends who have EVs. They absolutely love their cars. Um, they're very high maintenance. So yeah, high maintenance in the, in the sense that you've got to recharge it, and then when you take off on a trip, anything more than daily driving, if you take a trip of more than a couple hundred miles, you have to say, where are we going to charge it? Where's the fuel exactly. for this electric vehicle? And, and, and if the fueling stations aren't there, and even if they are, they take a lot of time. And by the way, uh, I read yesterday that uh, for all the billions of dollars that the federal government has paid in subsidies to buy stations, plugging stations, they've yep. only managed to build one. Is that, is that, that, 
correct? No. Did I read that? I mean, you I know what? I no, Veronique, I, I saw the same report, except it was a week ago. And as of a week ago, they hadn't built any of them. And it's been two years since they allocated the money. And it was $7.5 billion. And they, you know, so they began this effort I, a couple I of years ago. They built one. I think they so, looked, 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 and they found one. And and this is this is the thing. It's like the the problem is like if you don't know where to plug it, right? And yep. or if you don't, if you if there's a risk that you're going to show up at a station that's going to be super crowded, so you're going to spend have to wait an hour to because it, unless you have a you're at a super fast plugging station, um, it takes a long time. But that's one thing. The problem is when you're at a station and they're actually the charger is broken, which is another thing that people report and. Finally, it's worth noting the incoherence, and I think you and I have talked about this in the past. The incoherence and the inconsistency of uh, the, uh, the the green those green mandates. On one hand, they want everyone to switch to electric cars, even though electric cars are more expensive and have all the troubles uh, you and I just talked about. But it's right. also that they won't allow us to import electric cars for for China. Whatever one thinks. Of, of importing things from China, some people are poor, some poor for, some people are against. Right? You can't have it both ways. China no, because but but what happens when you're a politician like Joe Biden and you say I got to keep my union buddies happy? But if I okay importing electric cars from China, then then that undercuts my union buddies. Not only that, but back to your point about the number of workers it takes to build a car. I was stunned by the numbers, and if you've heard different ones, let me know. But as I understand it, for every 100 workers you need to build a given amount of, of conventional cars, you need about 60, six zero workers yes. to build the, the comparable EV. That's the number, right? So yes. that means yes. that at the UAW a Union Hiring Hall, you can look around and say if there are 100 guys in this hall, 40 of them are going to be jobless when Joe Biden's battery car dream comes to fruition. Yeah, and by the way, um, the other thing about China is, like, they produce cars that apparently some of them are actually really great. I mean, again, I'm not, you know, I, there, there, are, there are reasons to have some reservations about China. But also the cost, they can produce uh, very decent EVs for $11,000. So they have to decide. Because ours, like I think, the cheapest we have is 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 over twenty thousand, and so you've got to decide: do you want to put everyone in an EV, or do you wanna, or do you not want to? I would rather they not want to, and they let the the, the transition happen naturally, because I think there is there, there is a, I think the future is eventually going to be um, going to be most cars at the very least on the road. Um, that are not that are maybe, maybe eventually, are, but right now, until they make sense. The yeah. last one I want you to address because you know you, what you've talked about is the tax problem. Because you're not yeah. buying gasoline, so you're not paying gas taxes, state or federal gas taxes, yeah. and yet. I, I, I did a rough estimate of what I pay per car in the Larson family, and we don't do a gigantic amount of driving, nor do we, uh, you know, we do drive our cars. So it's five to four to six hundred dollars a year. 
In a two-car family, that's 1000 to $1,200. But the EV family isn't paying that. And they're going to have to figure yeah. out a way because that pays the roads and the EVs aren't paying for the roads. How's that going to work out when you tell people, <clears throat> we want Ford to build you a car that costs more to build than they sell it to you for. Then we want to put a federal subsidy on it. Oh, and by the way, four or $500 in extra taxes to pay for the roads. Yeah, because they're not going to they're not going to be paying. So there are a lot of problems with the gas tax, as as it is. But yes, all these electric cars are not going to be paying the the gas tax. And so, how are we going to be paying for this? This is a conversation we should have had a long time ago, because it's been years, years uh, since the gas tax has been able to actually pay for all the infrastructure infrastructure spending, including the repair of roads. Um, and so uh, they're not really thinking about this. Not, not. They had a pilot program, uh, which I have no idea whether they even implemented in the last. In the late- Veronique, I'm going to have to break it off at that point. That's Veronique Desrougies from the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Back in a moment, you're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Simply by listening, you're proving how smart you really are. Lars thanks you. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, our Twitter poll or X poll, if you like that better. Our X poll today, should the public know who makes threats against schools, even if the criminals are actually kids? I'd say yes to that. The FBI has now counted up more than 18 hoax threats against Oregon schools, synagogues, and airports just this last week. That has prompted evacuations and law enforcement sweeps. At least a dozen school districts got hoax bomb threats as well. And yet we can be, uh, we can be pretty certain that if they identify that it was a somebody under the age of 18, you're never going to hear that person's name. You're never going to hear how the charges are ultimately figured out about that person. And I think that's a detriment because it means there's an incentive to do it again. You can find today's Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. And it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, today we've been helping out Union Gospel Mission 
which I believe has a, a great message, and that is we're going to get people off the streets, we're going to meet their immediate needs, we're going to help them get off the drugs and alcohol that are some of the predominant reasons that people end up on the streets as so-called homeless or other names, houseless is another name that they've used, and that in that case, uh, they can actually help them get on the right track, but it does cost some money. They take no government money, so they raise it from, you know, mostly conservative people like you and me, although they'll take donations from liberals, won't they, David? <laughs> well, anybody who wants to help, we will. Um, and I always like it because we're a faith-based organization, so uh, we use that as part of our programs uh, to help. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a such a high success rate in not only getting people off the street, but they stay off the street because they stay clean, sober, in housing, employed, uh, and that's one of the that's the goal. That's what we're trying to do. So we will meet the basic need for sure. Um, but the ultimate end is that we are able to permanently get them off that and out of that situation. But it usually starts because we're going to meet a basic need. So when we ask you to give, it's really all of that program. And we're thankful that everybody's given. Hey, Lars, I meant to ask or tell you this. We have a uh, we have a very uh, good friend of the of the mission who's also a big fan, and they're putting up a five thousand dollar match for the next basically hour and whatever. Nice. So three o'clock on the west coast. Five grand to double any gift. So so any gift that, that comes in, somebody donates a hundred or a thousand or five thousand, it'll be matched and it'll double up. Uh, by the way, the way to get those donations in, KV, is KXL.com. We do a lot of these for the uh, our affiliates on the Radio Northwest Network. In this case, it's KXL.com. Or you can call 888-955-9557. That's 888-955-9557. So you've got a great match, $5,000. Give people yeah. an idea of what will what will happen with this money, because I'm always impressed by the way UGM manages to stretch these dollars in ways that government bureaucracies could never match. Well, we uh, for that fifteen dollars, that's kind of what you know, approximate number, but that's for the night of shelter, the meals that come with it, all the support that comes from toiletries to the shower they take. But this is the important part. It also is that introduction to the counseling, uh, the ability to be able to to steer somebody in the right direction into our recovery programs. And all that's kind of summarized in that $15. So that's for a day. So $105 is a week. Uh, $500 is just a little over a month of their care. Now, of course, with the double, uh, that goes twice as far. But we're, we're very careful because we don't take government money, as you say. So we wouldn't be around for the decades we've been around if we mishandled money. And so... The, the beauty of it is it's all supported by just people, and we are incredibly effective with how we do it. So every dollar is important because it's the only source of funding that we have. People that just like you and me jump in and go, no, this works, so we're going to support it. It absolutely does. Union Gospel Mission, if you want to make a donation, go to our flagship station. That's our flagship affiliate on the Radio Northwest Network, KXL.com, or you can call 888-955-9557. That's 888-955-9557. We'll talk to David at Harms again. David, thank you very much. We're glad to be helping out during this holiday season. Raise some money for a cause that actually gets some good done long term. This segment of the show is brought to you by Nick Schiff. Com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showings, no hassles. You pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Let's go first to Carl, listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Carl, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? 
Thank you, Lars, for taking my call, bud. I just was wondering if you and your listeners knew about what Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife is up to again. Um, what's their latest? What's their latest nonsense? They're they're trying to shut down the all the predator hunting, bear hunting, um, in the northeast of Washington State, where I live at in Stevens County. And what's what's the excuse they're using for shutting down the hunting? They they claim that the uh, uh, there's no need to shoot the uh, well there's no need to hunt in the predators no more when we have many many cougars wolves grizzly bears black bears coyotes and, and they want to bring they want to bring in even more grizzlies I know they want to introduce them to the North Cascades which doesn't seem like a terrific idea to put another apex killer out there. And then wolves are continuing to populate. And as you said, the cougar population's gone up. It, it, it seems to me it's likely to wipe out the big game population. Yes, sir. And I think you're exactly right on that idea. I believe they just want to take away all the hunting in the Northeast. And a lot of families up there, that's a below-poverty county. And they they depend on that extra venison or elk meat or bear meat. I agree. Carl, thanks for the call. You've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. Always glad to take your calls. And our Twitter poll or X poll, you can vote in that. Should the public know who makes threats against schools, even if the criminals who've made those threats turn out to be kids? The FBI is counting more than 18 hoax threats against schools in Oregon, synagogues, airports, and all the rest. At least a dozen. Sorry, 
at least a dozen school districts have faced threats and evacuations, and they all turned out to be hoaxes. I'm willing to bet that they were probably perpetrated by somebody under the age of 18, and that means we're going to hear nothing about that person and nothing about the consequences. You can find the X-Poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at Ultimate Truck service.com now yesterday i was asking about washington state should states make driver's ed mandatory for those under the age of 24 i said no or i said yeah i said no and uh i was on the minority side of that vote 39 percent 61 percent of you said yes they should make it mandatory for those under the age of 24 but I want to move to something that I consider very, very important. The public is finally going to get a voice about some of the crazy stuff that has been delivered in Washington State from Olympia. And Brian Haywood is behind that effort, the sponsor of the group. Let's go, Washington. Brian, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Lars. It's great to be back. Well, and you've got some great news as well because you have a total of six uh, proposed ballot measures and uh, and four of them, you now have the signatures on to put them on the ballot. Well, we we've got uh, we've turned in one already. We turned in the repeal the cap and trade. We turned it in last month. Uh, yesterday, we turned in the parental notification, which means parents have a right to know, uh, for example, if there was a bomb threat at the school. Um, and then the sec the third one we're turning in tomorrow, which will be the police pursuit. Uh, returning, restoring local jurisdiction and allowing police to pursue bad guys uh, when they do bad things. And then we, we've got four more. Uh, sorry, that's three. We've got three more that we'll be turning in over the next two and a half weeks. And, and those are opt out of the state's crazy long-term care coverage act, repeal the capital gains Correct. tax, and reinforce the no Correct. state income tax? Yes, and the no state income tax would extend to the cities and the counties as well, and it would establish the standard would be if the IRS considers it uh, an income tax, it's an income tax, uh, despite what the uh, Supreme Court here might try to wiggle around. Yeah, and, and, and that one, and you managed to write all of these so they stick within the single subject rule? We did. So we had, we had a, a lawmaker uh, wrote them, and then we ran them through uh, several lawyers to make sure that we were, we were careful. One of the reasons that the, the income tax and the capital gains are split was specifically to address that issue. Yeah, because, because oftentimes it just kills me to see the effort that people like you and your supporters and your volunteers have put in only to get something on the ballot, get it passed, and then have it get thrown out by the courts because of that, that I think a, a too narrow interpretation of what the single subject matter is. So it, does it appear to you at this point, the way the signatures are coming in, that you'll end up with more than enough signatures to put all six of these on the ballot? I believe we're going to be there. Uh, I'll give you some numbers if that's we we need like three hundred twenty-five thousand. We need three hundred twenty-five thousand signatures that are valid. So that has to be a Washington State registered voter. Um, the ones that we've turned in, the cap and trade, we're at four hundred forty thousand signatures we've turned in. So I'm super confident that one's going through. Uh, yesterday we turned in four hundred twenty-three thousand for the parental notification. Uh, we'll be over 400,000 for the, for the police tomorrow. 
We've got another one that's over 400,000, and then the other two are really close. So if people keep turning them in the way they have been, we should be at over 400,000 for all six by the end of the year. Hey, Brian, I'm curious, and this is more for my curiosity than anything else. Are these signatures, two questions, are they being gathered somewhat simultaneously? So the same volunteers who have the signature or the gathering signatures for no state income tax are also gathering for the other five measures at the same time, asking the same people. And I'm curious how that split goes, whether there are, you know, an, an unusual number of people say, oh, I'm for putting that one on the ballot, but I don't want the other three or the other four. That's, that's a really uh, good question. And in fact, it was part of what I think has allowed us to get these all over the, over the hurdle. Um, we're collecting all of them at the same time. So you go there, there's a packet of six. Uh, if you get convinced that the legislature has overstepped its, its bounds or maybe the bounds of common sense on the first two or three and you listen to the others, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm signing all of them. Uh, we've got an overlap that's probably around 70 to 80 percent of the people sign all of them yep that doesn't uh, that, that, just, you know, now does that does that surprise you at all because it doesn't surprise me no no we well we chose we specifically chose issues that people were pissed about and were willing to support right yep um and i'll tell you another number that's actually really fascinating on the cap and trade one we just turned in 55.4 percent of the, we, we ran a model, so we scan all the signatures in, and we run it against a voter model, and we estimate that 55.4% of the people that signed to repeal the cap-and-trade were either Democrat or independent. Wow. <laughs> well, in, in a heavily... De now, how does, the, how does the party... Well, there is no party registration, is there? Do we have numbers that accurately des describe how many Republicans and Democrats there are? We don't, but if you look at the governor's uh, results as, a, as an indicator, um, we typically run about 43 to 44% of the population votes um, uh, Republican in the governor's race. So that's a fair number of what that side is, right? Yep. And, and I, the rest will be independents and, and uh, Democrats. Um, and we're running, we're running, it's the interesting number, I mean, because we're getting, that's right about, the people that sign are about 44% of, of each of the initiatives are Republicans, and the rest are independents and Democrats. So our numbers suggest that this is broadly popular among the whole population. Um, and this isn't some – the left is going to try to paint it as a MAGA, you know, a bunch of crazy MAGAs out in, a, in eastern Washington. This is statewide, and it represents their voter base. Well, I'm glad to have be armed with that because, Brian, I'll push back when people try to say it's just crazy Trumpers out there. No, it's not. If 54 percent of the people signing are, are, are Democrats and or liberals or independents. So last thing very quickly, because we're headed up to a break. If people want to help you out with the effort at this point, how do they do it? The best thing they can do is go on to let's go dot com. We've got places you can sign. We've got a way to actually ask for initiatives, and we'll send them to you. And probably one of the most important things at this stage is for anyone out there that has on their table a packet of these that they're needing to turn in soon, turn them in today. Get them signed and get them in. That's Let's Go Law. Let's Go Law and Brian Haywood. Brian, congratulations. It's a huge success. Back in a moment, we'll talk about a kid who got a history quiz wrong. 
Advice. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I think parents have every reason to be concerned about the kind of claptrap and the indoctrination that their kids are going to face when they go to a government-run so-called public school. And I'm going to tell you why the latest example will show you just how far out of the lane the teachers, some teachers, not all, are willing to go in order to indoctrinate kids about sexual matters, even when they're teaching a class that has absolutely positively nothing to do with the subject they're trying to indoctrinate. But let me get to that in a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, if you disagree with my point of view, I'm more than happy to put you right to the head of the line. For more than a quarter century, this program has always put naysayers to the head of the line. So you're welcome at 866-439-5277. If you want to send an email, we make that easy. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, we put up a brand new question. And I say we because some days I write the question. Some days my brilliant producers, all three of them, Joel and Mackenzie and Donovan, they write the questions as well. So we work on it as a team. Uh, so if you want to vote, it's at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter. You can also go to our website at LarsLarson.com and vote there. But please just vote once. But imagine this. I want you to imagine, and I'll rely on the reporting of the New York Post, you're sending your kid to school, high school in this case, so more mature kids than, say, middle school or elementary school. And your child comes home and says, you're not going to believe what happened to me in history class today. And, uh, and, and mom or dad says, well, what happened? Well, I got marked down because I failed on a couple of the questions in a true-false quiz in Ethnic Studies World History class. And he, in this case, the student at Chief Seattle uh, International High School, or Chief Self uh, International High School, told his mom, said, look, this is what happened to me at school, Mom. The student got marked down for two statements that he had, that he had marked as true. It's a true-false quiz given out in his class, Ethnic Studies, World History. And here were the two statements that he marked true. One, all men have penises. And by the way, before any of the grammar critics out there get started, 
I thought maybe the uh, plural of penises, never had to use the plural before, uh, was peni. It's not. It's penises. And the second one, that only women can get pregnant. He marked that true. And he, he was told he was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. Now, what happened? In this class, he was marked incorrect for both of those and failed the knowledge check quiz as a result because he failed on those two questions. Other questions on the quiz, this was given about two weeks ago, according to the New York Post, asked students about pronoun usage and gender as a construct. Now, I would ask you this. When do you first recall hearing that so-called gender fluidity or transgender issues became any kind of major factor in world history? If you say less than 10 years ago, I'd agree with you. If you said mostly in the last five years, I'd completely agree with you there. So you're teaching us a, 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 a class in world history, ethnic studies and world history, and all of a sudden you're being asked about penises and who can get pregnant. The other questions ask students about pronoun usage and, uh, and gender as a construct. Now, that's where it gets really crazy. And I know that some of you are going to say, Lars, if they'd been teaching a class on current events, maybe those questions would have been appropriate. But in this case, they weren't teaching current events. They were teaching ethnic studies, world history. How does that have anything to do with that? Well, I want you to understand that. There are teachers out there who go to school and they teach their kids and they teach the subject that they've been told to teach, whether it's math, whether it's science, whether it's history or any of those other issues. And then there are teachers, and I don't think they belong in any school, let alone the public schools, who've decided that they have a platform to push their own personal, and in this case, sexual agenda. They say, I have this job. I get paid very well. It's a part-time job. It's only 1,500 hours a year. A full-time job is more than 2,000 hours a year. And with that job, I'm not just going to do my job and teach the subject I'm assigned to teach to kids. I'm going to use it as my own personal and political, and in this case, sexual playground to indoctrinate children who are still, in the eyes of the law, children about matters involving gender, involving sex and sexuality, and involving actual physical statements like, can a woman only get pregnant? Or can men get pregnant as well? According to the way this was uh, graded by his teacher, he should have answered to the question, all men have penises. He should have said, that's false. And on the question, only women can get pregnant, according to the teacher, this student at a high school, the International High School, uh, Chief Self uh, International High School in Seattle, he should have marked that false. No, there are men out there who get pregnant as well. And there are men out there who don't have a penis. And we're not talking about medical accidents or anything like that. We know what they're getting at. What they're saying is there are men who are pretending to be women who literally, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but there are, there are men who pretend that they have a monthly period. There are men who pretend that they need a pap smear. There are men who pretend that they can get pregnant at some point. Now, what do the schools say about this? According to the New York Post, Seattle Public Schools say the quiz was meant to promote inclusion and was in line with lessons taught in the ethnic studies class. Is uh, 
Is being transgender an ethnicity now? Because I'd, I'd never heard that, and I'm trying to wrap my head around how uh, being transgender, believing that you are a female, even though you have the biological parts of a male, makes you part of a different ethnicity. A course description says that students will be, quote, investigating the global economy, society, and culture. And I'm sure that this is where the teacher said, there's my in. I can fit this in under the rubric of culture. I can say that, you know, transgender people, gender fluid people, if you will, are part of a culture. And then here's the statement from the uh, from the Seattle Public Schools. We remain committed to fostering inclusive environments that encourage the exploration of contemporary issues, particularly the examination of power systems such as racism and patriarchy. This dedication extends to providing a space for thoughtful exploration and dialogue on these issues. Can you imagine? What would happen if I were a student in that high school? I'm a, I'm a half century past high school. But can you imagine a student who says, hey, these men who say they're pregnant, because I wanted to get that, uh, that question right on the pop quiz, how exactly do they get pregnant? And how exactly do they bear a child? And then on the other question, all men have penises, how exactly is it that somebody who was born with female body parts ends up with a penis? Uh, and that she is then considered a man. Now, you know they're not going to be open to that kind of discussion. So all this promise about inclusivity and everything else, what you've got is indoctrination. You either tow the party line when it comes to LGBTQ, or you're going to get bad grades, not just in college, but in high school as well. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Saying the things you wish you could say. More with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls and emails in a moment, but there's a real mystery going on, and for me, maybe I'm just uh, stupid or naive or something. Maybe Jay Green can answer my question. How it is that so many people at major American universities can defend anti-Semitic comments and anti-Semitic attacks on their campus, uh, and, and some of them have kind of changed their tune once their jobs are threatened. Uh, but it seems strange to me that all of this is going on on American college campuses that are supposed to be full, largely, of young, woke, and so-so-tolerant people who are college students these days. Jay, welcome back to the program. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. Jay Green so is a senior. I have an answer for you. Oh, you do? Well, then <laughs> right. I want to get to that. I was going to tell people you're a senior okay. research fellow sure. at the Heritage Foundation Center for Education Policy. Uh, but, but tell me this. How, how is it all these things are happening on college campuses? The, the presidents of those universities who make huge salaries uh, defend them in front of Congress. Some of them backtrack quickly within a day or so. Uh, one has lost a job. The other one kept her job. Uh, and they've lost literally billions of dollars in donations from big donors. And, and they're not doing anything to control what their students are, are saying. Right. So, I mean, I think the, the quick answer is you have to be really smart stuff. Um, and, you know, it takes a lot of very advanced education to believe some really horrific things. 
And unfortunately, our universities are teaching our young people some horrific things. And, and one of the main theories that they're teaching our kids, which is leading them not only to hate Jews, but frankly, to hate our country, um, is that the world can be divided into oppressors and oppressed. That is, rather than treating everyone as an individual, equally made in the image of God, deserving of equal treatment under the law, instead we think that people belong in different categories and deserve different treatment because of the category they're in. If they're an oppressor, they deserve the harsh treatment they receive, and if they're oppressed, they deserve reparations for the collective and historic wrongs they've experienced. And it's that nonsensical idea that very smart people have whipped themselves up into believing and that has led to uh, this wave of anti-semitism we're seeing on campus but frankly it's just a manifestation really of a hatred for the fundamental values of our country um, namely a belief in equal treatment under the law jay i think you're right but but tell me this isn't this you know this whole movement on that side which i disagree with all day long but isn't it like to likely to collide with itself in other words, what do you do, let's say, with somebody who's Jewish, but they're also black and gay? I mean, do you have to go to a flow chart and figure out, are they more oppressor or oppressed in that case? And who do I, do I yell at them or do I slap them on the back and congratulate them? Yeah, you know, it's kind of hilarious, actually, that, that, that once you abandon a consistent principle like equal treatment under the law, you are left inevitably with these paradoxes where you don't know whether you're supposed to uh, give people reparations or uh, strip them of their privileges. And, and so once we abandon this, this kind of clean and, and very clear principle of equal treatment, then if we decide that people deserve differential treatment, not based on anything they've done individually, but based on the group that they belong to or who they are as, as a member of a group, then uh, people are members of multiple groups, and we don't know which group is the one that deserves priority in, in determining how they're treated. You're right. It leads to nonsense and contradictions, uh, but luckily they um, don't have to resolve them because they don't have to make sense. Um, so, so that's how we're left with this kind of horrible mess. But it's, I think it's becoming very clear to a wider group of Americans that there's something deeply wrong in our universities and that they've strayed from their central mission of truth-seeking and have gone into this, this uh, alternative mission of political indoctrination. So what, how are the universities then going to... Uh, I kind of wanted to get to some of what the president said when they showed up, the presidents from Harvard, Penn, and MIT. So they show up in front of that House sure. committee, and they say, and they're asked, if somebody comes out and calls for genocide against Jewish people, uh, is that okay with you? Or are you going to, you know, stop that? And they're gen the the answer I think of all three could be summed up. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to diminish what they said, but they said, oh no, until they actually act on it and go out and actually attack somebody, no, there's nothing we can do about speech. Except universities have had decades of acting against speech that was out of line, going all the way back. I mean, a long time, but the one that kind of jumps to mind was about 30 years ago, the the water buffalo. Uh, incident where a student um, sure. who I think was actually Jewish, you know, if that matters or not, but he was studying in his room and these uh, sorority sisters were outside and they were being loud and rowdy and distracting him. And, and they happened to be black Americans. And, and he shouted at them, you know, shut up, you water buffalo. And, uh, and, and he was almost pushed out of school. He survived, but, but they said, you can't talk that way. 
And at the time, the question was, well, he was rude and crude and out of line, but are you going to kick him out of school for that? Except now the same universities are turning around saying, oh, no, you can run around calling for genocide, calling for, you know, support for terrorism and everything else. And that's perfectly OK unless you actually hit somebody. Right. They, you're, you've described them accurately. They said that when speech turns into action, then it can be punished. And so they've adopted this uh, absolutist free speech doctrine um, all of a sudden. Um, at, at the prior moment, they did not believe it. Um, and they didn't do it, as you note with an example from a couple decades ago. But frankly, just a few months ago, they um, were uh, refusing to have speakers on campus if they said things that were politically unpopular. Um, They had revoked admissions for decisions, for uh, admissions decisions for students who had been admitted. But then something was discovered in their social media feed that was thought to be politically incorrect. And then they revoked their admission. So they, they were punishing students, punishing faculty. Uh, Claudine Gay went after um, uh, black scholars, accomplished black scholars, Roland Fire and Ronald Sullivan. Um, uh, Ronald Sullivan for representing Harvey Weinstein, engaging in actual just legal defense of a client. Um, so none of these people were consistent uh, believers in absolute free speech prior to the moment that Jews were the ones who were being victimized. And that, um, now, that really sticks out like a sore thumb. So, Jay, give me a prediction of where you think this is going to go, because we've had one university president lose her job, uh, another managed to survive, Ms. Uh, president Gay at Harvard. Uh, and Harvard has lost at least a billion dollars in donations. Other universities are suffering that as well from their big donors who say, hey, if that's what you're going to stand up for, you're not getting a dime of my money. Where is this all going to lead? So uh, it's going to be a bit of a battle here. It's going to stretch out. But I think Claudine Gay will ultimately not survive this. But the thing that will get her is not her horrible treatment of Jewish students, um, but uh, will be her plagiarism. Um, so uh, Chris Rufo and Aaron Sperium, two journalists, have documented numerous instances of, of plagiarism in her rather sparse academic scholarship, um, and they're finding more every day, and I think that will accumulate to the point where the university will have a hard time keeping her. See? Um, hmm. But, yeah, but they don't want to give in. Uh, these universities don't want to give in to outside influence uh, because they see that as them losing control of their own narrative, their own weird little world they've created. Well, and see, what makes me uncomfortable about it is that then gives them an excuse. We're firing President Gay for her for her plagiarism and not for her absolutely indefensible, uh, you know, refusal uh, to go after, you know, to, to apply the same standards on speech from one group as she'd apply to another group. Uh, Jay, keep up the good work at Heritage, and we appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. You bet. That's Jay Green, who's a senior research fellow in the Heritage Foundation Center for Education Policy. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network.
If you've been looking, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Keeping you happy, informed, and always guessing what he'll say next, here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. By the way, we just got word, it appears the House of Representatives, am I correct about this, Joel? The House of Representatives has voted to approve uh, an impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden. That's just happened in the last few minutes. Just an update for you. We'll tell you more as we find out more. But boy, do we know a lot about the Biden crime family. Our Twitter poll today, should the public know who makes threats against schools and other institutions, even if the criminals in that case turn out to be kids? I would answer yes. The I'm referring to the FBI counting up 18 threats against Oregon schools, synagogues and airports just in the last week but if those are under the age of 18 will the public ever know about it will there ever be any be any serious consequences to those involved it's great to be with you on a wednesday and every year at this time we try to help out a, a great cause and that is the union gospel mission and david harms joins me from ugm uh just as a heads up if you want to help out ugm I'm a big believer because they don't take government money. They do produce results. They get people off the streets and into treatment and have a very good track record of getting people from off the streets and with a meal in front of them to actually off the drugs or the alcohol or with their mental illness addressed and, and, and enabled to get back to a conventional life. So the number is 888-955-9557. David, welcome back. Well, thank you very much. And a couple of people we can thank, Andrew and Susan and Carrie and Stephen. They've all jumped in with gifts here in the little, last little bit. Right. Uh, I do want to say very quickly, because we've only got a few minutes left, but we do have a, a friend of you, uh, meaning they'd love your show. Thank they you. put up $5,000 to match. Uh, we still have about $4,500 to go. So we'll need maybe a handful of people that could do, say, $1,000. Or That'll provide about two or or five hundred or <laughs> all five thousand. Uh, it's fifteen dollars for a day to underwrite all their care, the shelter, all the meals, all the recovery, everything. Fifteen dollars a day, so one hundred and five is a week. That's where that thousand dollars or more. A thousand dollars is about two months. So uh, we are on the clock though, because that will expire in about seven minutes. So. Uh, the phone number, again, I'm just going to say it's slow because of the urgency here, 888-955-9557, or website, kxl.com. That's the uh, the flagship here in Oregon, kxl.com. Uh, but, again, 888-955-9557. And, Lars, I, I don't want to 
camp too much on the match side of things, but because we don't take government money, anytime something like this is offered, we certainly want to take advantage of it. Oh, so yeah. Grateful for any gift, any call, all right now. In about seven minutes, it's all part of a double match. Okay, and, and the thing is, once, if they go to your website, if they listen to the stories you've told on the air, that when you yeah. have a, a, an agency that doesn't answer the government, doesn't kowtow to the government, doesn't take money from the government, does produce results, and you document your results, and you actually mm -hmm. change people's circumstances, as opposed to simply enabling them to stay living on the streets, stay on drugs, and you have a faith basis, I think when people hear about that, they say, that's the kind of organization that I want to support and make sure that people uh, have a chance to get into a conventional lifestyle and get off the street. Mm -hmm. So it's Union Gospel Mission, 888-955-9557. David, I appreciate all your efforts in this. We'll fill up those remaining $4,500, I hope. And uh, I you hope, can call yeah. 888-955-9557. David, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Lars. Glad to have you on. Let's go to the Radio Northwest Network and talk to uh, Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, I just wanted to uh, talk with you a little bit. You were talking about the uh, the guys that wanted the guys that can have babies and the girls that have penises and stuff like that. I just my question with this: if if they're going through going through all this change and stuff, like let's say a uh, a girl wants to become a guy, and, and maybe they have something added in. Are they going to add in a prostate like a real man has? <laughs> uh, I, I hope not. Let's put it that way, Jason. <laughs> no, because, Jason, I get the humor in it, but do you understand one of the things that I think is driving this? You have University of Washington Medical Center. You have OHSU, two institutions in the Northwest, and those institutions make huge amounts of money by selling their so-called gender affirmation services, which include chemical castration of teenage boys, which include double mastectomies for teenage girls. And you think, how in the world did America get to the point where we're caught up in this psychological craziness of saying we're going to take children and we're going to do experiments on them? I mean, the other day we were talking about this Dr. Blair Peters, who's invited to come on the show anytime. Uh, he or she wants to come on. I'm not entirely sure what his pronoun is, but this is the person who's, you know, whose whose videos have been shown in front of Congress, who says, "Yeah, we we do this to kids, but we're still kind of figuring out how it works." And Jason, I would just ask you, when you, I know that the politically correct say, "Well, you have to do this for these kids." Can you imagine walking up to a, a mother or father who actually loves his his or her child? and saying to them, we're going to perform surgery, we're going to give your kid drugs and hormones that are going to make permanent changes in your child, and we're not entirely sure how it's going to work out because we're still figuring it out ourselves. Can you imagine any reasonable parent who wouldn't immediately pick up their child and run out of that institution, OHSU or UW, just as fast as they possibly could. We're going to experiment on your on your kids. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Mengele. We're all stocked up here. We're on our way out the door. That is something that any reasonable parent would refuse for a child. It's absolute lunacy, and it's making major dollars for major institutions. You've got the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? 
Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.